question. So last Sunday, I turned 31, um, which uh, doesn't make, I stopped saying that I'm old or I feel old because I know that I'm not old. Uh, but I, I came to this new realization when I was uh, celebrating my birthday uh, with my wife and kids um, Saturday night because we knew Sunday was going to be crazy and busy. And, and so in the past, when I like, had my birthday, I thought like, um, I would make a joke about knowing like, my inevitable demise and like, the end of my life was nearing and that much closer. And it just wasn't very encouraging. But then I realized, wait, I came to grips with that when I was 15 because my mom put the fear of God in me every time I backtalked her. And so then fast forward to 31, I'm sitting there having this moment, and I had a stressful, long, heavy burden, like 60-plus hour week, not because of anyone else's expectations, but because of my own like misprioritizing uh, of time. And I found myself there having this moment with my kids on Saturday night that I had longed for and I'd craved for um, all week, but I just hadn't made the time for it. And the moment was this simple. It was actually, it's going to go down as one of the most like, profound young family memories. Um, and there's nothing special. It's us sitting in our living room. And my kids, who are six, five, and one and a half, um, Isaac and Ellie, who are the older ones, uh, they're like now people. So if I ever preach, what you're going to find out is I preach about my kids because that's who God is teaching me the most about life and about faith through. And it's the season of life I'm in. And we had this moment, and if you have kids that are older, you know, like, uh, it used to be only stories about diapers and crying and, like, trying to keep them alive. And then I had this moment where I realized, wait a second, they're now giving me more profound illustrations because they're little humans, with wisdom and insight and words, lots of words. Thank you, kindergarten. And mommy and daddy can't do that thing where we spell anymore. It just doesn't even work because we can spell and the six-year-old lights up. He's like, ha, 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 I know what they spelled. And then it starts a fight. But we had this moment where Isaac and Ellie, they were so excited and eager to give daddy the, the, the presents that they made for me. And I'm not really a big fan of presents. I don't really like surprises. Um, I'm the type of person that um, I'm the worst to buy a gift for because if I haven't already bought it for myself, um, I'm probably going to guess or figure it out. And ultimately, I'm going to ask for like cash or gift cards. It's, it's my flaw, one of my many flaws. But um, they were so excited. In fact, they were giddy and like giggly and laughing. And this was very out of character. And I tried getting it out of them. I tried over the dinner table giving Ellie the big doe eyes that she gets in trouble for giving me and just, please, ah. Uh. And she's, nope, nope, nope. And my wife is scowling at me like, you are creating a monster. <laughs> and so after dinner, they came and they were so excited. They walked up to me with their hands behind their back. And to be completely honest, at this point in time, I had no clue what was about to be presented to me. I assumed there was going to be some other macaroni falling apart like piece of art that I'm going to have to... I'm also an honest parent, which some people will say that makes me a bad parent, but um, I'm already digging deep, trying to find the encouragement, I'm going to say. And out behind their back, here's what they pull with all the joy in the world. They hold up two cards that are shaped like Speedos. Because all they wanted to get daddy for his birthday was a Speedo. But mom intervened and had better judgment. 
thankfully, and redirected them to, well, let's not spend money on a Speedo that dad, nobody wants to see dad in, um, and let's make him cards. And so they just thought it was the funniest thing ever. We don't know where this idea for a Speedo came from, but they were in cahoots, and they were so thrilled. So in this moment, I find myself just overwhelmed with laughter, joy-filled just laughter, there's just like, and we're just rolling, and it just keeps going, and then we try and move on, and we would think back, and we'd, somebody would start snickering, and it was just this moment. And in the midst of all that laughter, knowing that I'd already done all this preparation, preparing this message to preach last week, it hit me. This moment is just a moment. This moment's not going to last forever. My life on this earth isn't going to last forever. My life investing in these kids isn't going to last forever. My life investing in the pursuit of my wife isn't going to last forever. And I thought back six years, five years, one and a half years to holding each of them for the first time. And everyone out there that knows it, because you've said it to people that are younger than you with kids, it goes by like that. And it did. And I was confronted with this conviction of, what am I making of my moments? I'm so busy running around trying to please everyone else, and, and because it's my job, I can even justify it as trying to please God. When's the last time I just stopped and was fully present in a moment? Do you ever find yourself wrestling with that? And what I discovered was, I don't want to waste my life running around being so busy that I just exist. For my family, for my bride, for myself, for my friends, for my church, for my God. I don't want to be so busy that I'm just running around weary, tired, ragged, that at the end of the day I just exist. Have you ever felt this way? See what does this have to do with our faith? Well, we're going to see today this character named Enoch, who we don't know a ton about because his entire life story is captured in only nine verses. Nine verses in the entire Bible tells this story about this guy named Enoch, who we know because of how his life ended. We know about the end of his life because we know, if you know about Enoch, his life didn't end. He's one of two humans who ever walked the face of this earth that got a pass when it came to death. Elijah got taken up in a chariot of fire, which is just awesome. And Enoch just went out for a stroll one day with God like he did every day and didn't come home. That's what we know about him. But so easily we overlook what the significance of that disappearance, of him being translated, some Bible versions say, from this life into eternity. We miss like what was behind that. This is what I want us to think through today. Is how you live determines how you leave. How you live in this life determines how you leave. Not just in material success, legacy, financial security for your family, or, or your, um, all of your accomplishments. But I'm talking about in your relationships, in your family. Most importantly, in our relationship with the Lord. 
See, all too often we think about this, this relationship with God as something where we invite Jesus into our heart and then we show up to church for an hour a week and maybe we volunteer and sometimes we cut a check and, and, and it makes us feel a little bit better when we're confronted with the reality of our mortality and, and the fact of eternity and then we're just like, oh, whew, good, I'm covered, I'm cleared. Thanks, Jesus. But there's something profound in, in walking daily with God in this life, having a relationship with God in this life, that when that is at the pinnacle of our priorities, it changes and transforms everything around us. And this is what we see from Enoch. See, a flawed faith that walks with God daily pleases God more than a faith that wanders back to him when it's convenient. We're going to look at this idea of walking with God. So Enoch, we just talked about what we know about Enoch. His entire life story is captured in nine verses, Hebrews 11, Genesis 5, and Jude chapter 1, which is the only chapter in Jude. And we're going to see how the way that he lived his life determined how he left. The fact that we're still talking about him thousands of years later says that there's something more, uh, more impactful and profound about the truth of his life that God communicates in these nine verses than just the cool reality that he disappeared. So will you lean into that with me today? Amen? All right, we're awake. Hebrews chapter 11, it says this. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known. If you're highlighting in your Bible, your tablet, you could highlight known as a person who pleased God. Verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Man, there's a lot going on here. So the question, like, when you leave this life, what will your name be known for? When we leave this life here on this earth, what will your name be known for? Names are significant. Names have meaning. Maybe you know the meaning of your name. And if you have a really cool name filled with meaning, um, and you're like, oh, thanks, Mom and Dad. And maybe you just have a meaning where Mom and Dad said, that sounds good, or that's some distant relative. We don't need to, like, care about the meaning. And you're like, thanks, Mom and Dad. Our son's name is Isaac. Isaac, because I'm known for having this obnoxiously ridiculous laugh. Like, I leave movie theaters, and like I'm the only other people in there, and people are complaining about the old lady that wouldn't shut up. Like, that's my type of laugh. And Isaac means laughter, or he will laugh. But Isaac is also significant to me and my wife because Isaac is a testament to God's faithfulness. You see, in... Uh, just a couple days, we were going to celebrate a decade of being married. Ten years. It flew by, so that means we got married young, which meant we had a lot more to figure out before we had anything figured out. And my wife just felt in her heart like she, God created her to be a mom. And she's so good at it. But God took us on this journey where we had to walk through pain, and we had to walk through the painful loss of our first three pregnancies. When you're 22, trying to figure out, one, just how to be married, 
and sleep in the same bed with another human, trying to navigate those types of emotions. But you know what? We named Isaac Isaac because just like the Isaac that was promised to Abraham, we trusted that God was going to be faithful. And every time I call my son Isaac to come to me, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness. So names matter. Names have meaning. So Enoch actually has significant meaning. His name actually means dedicated one. His name means dedicated one. We see in Genesis chapter 5 where we are introduced to Enoch. We see if you were to read the whole chapter, scholars have titled this chapter in Genesis uh, chapter 5, The Reign of Death. Sounds sunshiny. Because if you were to read this genealogy, it doesn't take you long to see a pattern that has emerged that talks about somebody's name that's hard to pronounce and how many years they lived, and then they had a kid that they named something that was hard to pronounce, and then they lived some more and died. And you see this pattern, this cycle of so-and-so lived, had so-and-so, lived a few more years and died. He lived and died, lived and died, lived and died. And then, in the midst of this dark, dismal, like, not very sunny passage of Scripture, we see the introduction of our friend Enoch. In verse 19, it says, After the birth of Enoch, Jared lived another 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. It says, When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years, and he had sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. And then the pattern continues. So-and-so lived and died. So-and-so lived and died. So what, what, what can we make of this seemingly obscure, bright light in this dark passage of Scripture? We see a lot happening here if we look more closely. See, Enoch is actually the seventh from Adam. A significant number of this, the number seven goes back to God's number of completion. So we actually know that for the Israelite readers who were reading this for the first time, they were hearing this account. They see God's faithfulness and his grace displayed in Enoch. They see a glimpse of hope in the midst of darkness because everyone in his family, everyone in the culture, everyone around him was walking and wandering further and further away from God while Enoch showed what it meant to walk faithfully daily with God. So for the Israelite people that were actually hearing this as they were wandering throughout the desert again, wandering further from God, wanting to do it their own way, to hear this at a moment of like weakness and a low point was a reminder of God's grace and his faithfulness and his presence and that, oh yes, we can walk with the living God. We were created to walk daily with the living God. Yet all too often, we want to put ourselves in his place and we want to walk away from him. Some of us so much so that we would say we have ran 
the other way. I was 15 years old, and God put a very clear call to do ministry on my life, and I said, nope. And I tried running. My mom kept praying. I asked her to stop. She wouldn't. Praying moms, like, they get what they want. But we see this account from Enoch as this glimpse of light and darkness, which reveals God's grace, which gives hope. These Israelites were given hope when they were reminded that they could continue walking with God. So I hope that for us today here as flawed people, here in a, a series about not flawed faith, but flawed people, that we can have hope knowing that there's a God that we have to have faith in to believe that is not just a, a God who exists, but like Hebrews 11 says, is a God who rewards, a God who is good, a God who actually answers the call of those who seek him. See, do we think, if we're, if we're real honest with ourselves, in our hearts right now, when we think about our Heavenly Father, are we thinking of him as a good, gracious God? But then there's times where I'm pretty messed up and I'm pretty selfish and I think that I actually know better. And so I go and I try and take control. I was like, okay, I got this one. Thanks, thanks God. Before I know it, I'm, I'm off the road in the, in the weeds. And I forget that he's relational. And then I have this moment where fear and faith creep in. And I have the opportunity to have faith or respond in fear. We see this in this account. If we go a little bit further um, and we flip from Genesis to the uh, second to last book of the Bible, uh, which you don't need to turn there, uh, we see Enoch referenced again for the final time. And this time he's actually referenced in this way. It says, Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation of Adam, prophesied. And then it goes on to say some words that he prophesied. So what we can infer from that and we can uh, take from the Scripture and understand and apply to our faith and our life is the fact that he's being referenced again as somebody that was uh, significant enough that words he proclaimed. So when he prophesied, he proclaimed God's truth to people. It tells us something about his life. It tells us that he was a witness for God. So Hebrews just told us that Enoch pleased God. Genesis told us that Enoch pleased God by walking with God. And Jude tells us that because he walked with God, his life became a witness for God. I don't know about you, but when this faith thing can get really difficult and hard sometimes, so I like to keep it logical. So if I can make it into a logical like algorithm as close as possible, this is pretty simple, but profound. And simple doesn't mean easy, because this isn't easy to do, because this requires something of me, which means walking away from myself daily to walk with God, step by step. It also means that when walking with God, just like Enoch, he, his life stood out. Not just among the culture, but he's listed among family. Family that wasn't 
following God, family that wasn't walking with God, family that ultimately we see a couple generations later ends up at Noah, and God shows his grace again, saying, you know what, I just want to start all over. In fact, I'm God. I could if I wanted to, but I'm a gracious, loving God, and Noah and his family, we're going to spare them by their faith. Then he goes like all Washington, Pacific Northwest, and floods everything, But there's something profound here in Enoch's walk. Think about the significance of that. His life was determined. His name was known not just because he disappeared and how he left this life, but because of how he lived. He lived daily for God. That meant that he stood up for things that his family didn't think he should stand up for. That means he stood against things the people he cared about stood for. That means that he prioritized things, his time, his money, his resources, everything in a different way that the culture around him laughed at. This is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be following his model and transformed daily into his image. But instead, we treat God like some distant genie who we can wander away from And then when it gets scary and life gets uncertain and we don't know what to do, we trust him just enough to come running all the way back and say, can you help me out, big guy? Can you get me out of this one? I've done it. So Enoch, his name is so, so significant. How you live determines how you leave. See, Here's what we see from Enoch's life. If we go back and we read Hebrews 11:6, the second part says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe two things. It doesn't say one thing. When the Bible says two things, we need to like account for two things. It says if anyone wants to come to God, it's not that they just have to believe he exists. If anybody wants to come to God, they have to believe that he exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. What in the world does it mean that God rewards us? Well, when we think of rewards because we live in this life, in this sinful fallen world, we probably think of things like material things or we think of comfort and joy and happiness and everything goes good. And nothing goes bad. But that is not at all the life God invites us to live. Jesus made it pretty clear. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You don't need to. He says, come to me. These are the words of Jesus, the Savior that we are following, that we are invited to walk daily with, just like Enoch walked daily with God. Jesus' words say, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you more. He doesn't say, his desires are to give you trouble, because he knows trouble's already here. It's this opportunity to walk daily in step and in tune, guided by the powerful Holy Spirit of God. 
dwelling richly in our lives so that we, we can know him. Walking daily with God is always more rewarding than running around looking for meaning without him. Let's say that again. Walking daily with God is always more rewarding than running around looking for meaning without him. You know what I mean by that? Like we scurry about. See, none of us are guaranteed the same number of days on this earth, but we are all sharing the exact same number of hours in a given week. You all have 168 hours just like I do. And then God, by his grace, doesn't make us robots. He gives us free will and says, you choose how you're going to spend that time. And then he makes his call and his will for our life even simpler and clearer. We don't think it is. That's because we want to overcomplicate it. But he says, you need to worship, honor, and glorify me above all else and lead others to do the same. We call that discipleship. Worship, honor, love, glorify me above all things. Enjoy this life. Enjoy pleasure. He created us for pleasure. Not for our pleasure, but his glory. But do we stop and, sh- and slow down and make time for him? I work with a lot of young people, and when I ask them the question of when do they spend time with God? What does it look like to spend time with God? The most common answer I get back is when I'm driving to work. I just crank up the worship tunes, and I'm just singing to Jesus, and I love it, and that's five minutes, and then I go and I start work. And then it snowballs. And then I forget that Jesus had any part of my day. And then when it snowballs and that snowball's going out of control, then I remember, oh, wait, there's, this, there's somebody who wants to help. So I go running back. But there's something about this idea of walking. See, walking's different than running. Walking's different than running. Walking is, is slow and calculated, and intentional, and steady, and sustainable. That doesn't sound like running. I'm out of breath thinking about running. But then you put that in the context of relationship. You ever see people walking together that don't like each other? Unless it's like my two kids and they're like fighting over ice cream. people don't consciously go walk or go for a stroll with people they don't like. In fact, oftentimes people run from people they don't like. And then sometimes when people remember that there's somebody that likes them that they have forgot or they push aside and they get in this place in life where they need someone, they come running back. Maybe it's mom, maybe it's dad, maybe it's that friend that has always been consistent and forgiving, but you didn't realize it. You didn't realize that they were being Jesus to you. But this idea of walking with God, when we think of the God who created the universe, our brains can't fathom having 
an intimate, personal relationship with him. See, I believe in this this room that most people in here today believe that God loves them. We believe that. We see that in the the, um, incarnation and the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we believe that God, God loves us. But it's different when we stop and we really dig in and we go, Maybe, maybe God likes us too. Like God likes us. He created us in his image. Adam and Eve in the garden, he walked with them. God who created the universe wants to walk with you. Doesn't matter how flawed you think you are. Doesn't matter how perfect you think you are. It doesn't matter how much you feel like you have to do to catch up so that he will start walking with you or how much you think you've already done for him to walk with you before you've done anything. He says, let's go for a walk. I think of the old hymn, it's called In the Garden. It says, and he walks with me. I'm not going to sing because you'll all leave. He walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Oh, man. They don't write songs like they used to. He he tells us that we're his own. See, we feel like we, we have to, we owe God something. We feel like we have to do something out of duty or obligation to earn what he's already freely given. But we only feel that way and think that way when we wander away from him. To walk with someone means to agree on the direction that you're going. To agree on the direction that you're going like you're walking in step. And specifically, walking with God means that we are going to trust His leading to be right and good. Because He's a God who rewards. He rewards in many ways. He doesn't just reward eternal life and salvation. He rewards with His presence. He rewards with his peace. He rewards with his joy. He rewards with his comfort. He rewards with his reassurance. He rewards with his provision. He rewards with his people coming around us in community because we weren't created to live isolated from other people. We were created to experience the expression of God's love and goodness through other people. That's how we can tangibly do it. But what happens? We get busy, we get scared, we get insecure, we isolate. For some of us, Sunday morning, the hour a week that we get to sing and we get to be reminded of the truth of God's word and we get to feel his presence again. It might be for some of us the only time this entire week that we feel God's presence made known and we feel and we're reminded it's like, okay, you're still there. And other people are still crazy enough to believe this too. And what happens is we go and live our week 
And, and what happens is we get so tired and so far away, feeling like God's not there, that we have to come running back. And we feel like we're just running to Sunday to get that experience again. But what if Monday, Tuesday through Saturday, we walked with God in such a way that we knew his presence was all around us and we saw him at work in the smallest little things and we were so in tune with his sweet, soft, gentle voice that when we came together on Sunday, we walked in here boldly ready to proclaim his praise and to start sharing with the people around us all the ways that we saw God present throughout the week in our life, in the lives of other people, in the prayers that are being answered, the prayers that we're praying for other people, the prayers that people are praying for us, the moments where we are invited to, to be generous and get out of our comfort zone and to trust God and to get obedient. What happens when we walk into church like that? Oh, it changes the way we sing. Amen? It changes the freedom we feel. Walking with God daily makes His voice and His presence clear to us, which helps us to do the following things as the worship team starts to come. What does this look like practically in our lives? Well, I just listed a bunch of things, but we can have peace when life feels out of control. We could obediently be an instrument of his love and his grace to that coworker that is needing hope and to be reminded that they're not alone. Walking with God daily makes his voice clear to us so that we can walk along someone intentionally as they follow Jesus. We call this discipleship. It's what we're called and charged to do. We can love and serve our neighbors expecting nothing in return. You really want to freak your neighbor out? Go start mowing their lawn and don't say a thing. Just do it right. <laughs> Put their trash can out for them on trash day before they even get up. Knock on their door, introduce yourself, and say, hey, I've lived next door for a couple years. If you need anything, let me know. See, this is different than how we live lives in our culture. We show up, we go in the house, we close the door, close the blinds. We've earned it. It's me time. We get to forgive the loved one who's hurt you so deeply. When we walk daily beside our God, we can overcome the insecurity that comes with trying to please people. Knowing and finding our worth and our identity, that, that it's secure in God's truth and not found in the opinions of others. We can live in such freedom that we are joyfully generous with our time and our resources without reservation or restriction. We can put the phones and the screens away to seize, seize the moments that capture the hearts of our kids and our spouses and our grandkids. 
And maybe for them, us being children of God, being a reflection of Jesus, his grace, his peace, his patience, his love, when we're fully present in those moments, maybe, maybe they get a glimpse of the presence of God. It just takes a glimpse. For a lot of us here today, it just took a glimpse. When we saw that, that light drawing us, pulling us out from that darkness, and we started running to it. And once we ran to it, we saw that it was good, that it was true. We were invited to start walking with that light. So as we finish up today, I told you I'd go a little bit longer than Rich. How can you start this week? What can, what can you do? Here's just a quick list of thoughts and questions you can ask yourself that I've been asking myself as I reflected. And I wanted to recapture the moments in my life and I wanted to reprioritize and reorient my thoughts so that I could know that, man, the, that moment I had with my kids on Saturday night before I preached this message last Sunday, I want to be present because I want my kids to see me. They want, I want them to see dad who walks in step with the God that I want them to love with all of their heart, with all of their life. So this week, we could evaluate our current priorities and commitments. Is there room for God at the start, throughout, and at the end of each day? Or is he an afterthought? We could check the motive and the meaning of, of what's getting our time and our money and our attention. Is it for God's glory or, or my own glory? Does your faith reflect a relationship that believes God is both real and rewarding? There's another scripture that comes to mind because I think God's word speaks way better than my word. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus is saying, he says, if you who are earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give to you? Do we believe that our heavenly father wants to reward us for walking with him? Where do you recognize with thanksgiving and gratitude God's grace and love in the day-to-day. Do your friends and co-workers know God's love and care through your prayer and your encouragement and your presence? In your personal relationship with the Lord, who's walking with you towards Jesus? Who are you walking with that's not as far as you've gotten Does your family experience God's loving presence through you being fully present? See, walking daily with our relational God is where true freedom is found. 